is our scripture reader this morning. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, if you want to follow along with her reading. Philippians 4, she's going to read 1 through 7 to give us some context, a little bit of last week and all of this week. Kids, hold on. Hold on. Just wait just a second while we read the scripture together. So, Miss Terry, go ahead. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. If you're in second grade on down, you can be dismissed. The King's Kids, thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Thank you to our fellow comrade, worker, fellow laborer, Jerrica, for taking the King's Kids today. <coughs> this morning, uh, this passage is about God being near, very near. Nearer than we usually suspect, nearer than we usually want to acknowledge. God is near. And a lot of different a lot of different religions would acknowledge that, especially if God is in this rock or God is in nature, God is this or that, or God is you. You are God, so of course God is near. A lot of different faiths are going to acknowledge that God is near, but <clears throat> Jesus takes it to another level. By fleshing it out in a way that no other spiritual being could. His very name is Emmanuel. God with us. Not just near as in approaching, but near as in with. That's a different kind of nearness. And if we can capture the idea of what Paul is talking about in this passage today, it should radically affect our perspective on everything. If God is near, if we acknowledge and remember that God is near, that will affect the words that come out of our mouth because God is listening. He's near enough and he hears. If we remember that God is near, it's going to affect how we deal with customers and orders and getting stiffed because God's got my back. God is near. He's with me. I don't need to get upset by that. When our kids rebel, when our grown kids make terrible choices, and it racks us with worry, anxiety, fear for their lives. Remembering that God is near turns you into a person of prayer 
paralyzation. It activates your relationship with God the more you understand He is with us. And He's for us. He wants the very best for us. He wants to bring victory. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring deliverance. But not on your terms. So we need to learn to pray in accord with His will. Last week, Paul had to address what appears to be an issue in the church of Philippi. It may have been an issue when he was there and he heard about it again when somebody from Philippi came and reported to him all that was going on in church life. And in verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul urges a couple of women to have the same mind and to live in harmony, not just with each other, that was the key, but the, in the Lord. He encourages them not just to get along, he encourages them to draw close to Jesus together with Jesus as the reason for getting along not because you like each other you don't have to like people to love people you set yourself down and you lift up them that's what it means and today in verse 4 he says rejoice because he was just dealing with some turmoil in the church and he says rejoice in the Lord Always. That's all encompassing. But in case you didn't get it, again, I say rejoice. So rejoice in the Lord. Here's the word rejoice twice. So it's, it's also a command. This is a command. He's commanding these people, you need to rejoice in the Lord. Like, I, that needs to come out of your mouth. The next time you're in an argument with somebody, rejoice. Like, like be that firm about it. You rejoice in the Lord. And they're going to turn right back at you and be like, you rejoice in the Lord. No, you rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice first, and then I'll rejoice. Let's fight about that. Let's fight who's going to get right with God first, okay? But this is, this is, a, this is, that's the language he's using. He is commanding them. He's not doing it harshly. He's not doing it in a mean spirit. He's doing it as a father who's trying to instruct these younger Christians. Here's what we do when there's conflict. Rejoice in the Lord. He gives one for now and whatever is going on. It's all encompassing. One for right now. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what. Like, no matter what, we're going to talk about that. So there's one for the now, but he doesn't stop there. The second one is one for the future. He uses the present tense and rejoice in the Lord always right now. Then he uses the future tense for the second one. And again, I will say rejoice. I am willing it that whatever happens in your life in the future, you're rejoicing now. Good job. But also, whatever's going to fall into your life in the future, rejoice then too. Like he's not giving them any out to grumble, to complain, or to be at odds with one another. They're supposed to be dedicated to rejoicing, now and forevermore. Interesting. But why? why? What, what, what's the deeper level of rejoicing there? Why can we always rejoice? Well, the book of Hebrews says Jesus is better than everything. You can rejoice because Jesus is better. You don't need sacrifices. 
You don't need a temple. You don't need a priesthood. You don't need law, the Old Testament idea of law. You've got Jesus. He's better than all these things. Right where you are, whatever you're going through right now, even if it's good, Jesus is better. If what you're going through right now is terrible, Jesus is way better. Either way, he's got you covered. Rejoice. This is why he commands it. Whatever's going on in your life, if you have Jesus Christ, you have a reason to rejoice. Even if your house burned down, even if your spouse just passed away, you have a reason to rejoice because you're not ever alone. Everything goes south. Jesus is your true north. He redirects your entire life. Calibrate your life by him. You're never going to be lost. You're never going to be forsaken. Even if you kind of lose your way, he hasn't lost you. You have something to rejoice in, that he is willing to seek you out every single time. That's what we rejoice over. It's not rejoicing in our circumstances. Those are going to change. It's not rejoicing in our families or in our health. And there are a lot of good reasons to rejoice when those things are going well, but they won't last forever. He commands us to focus our attention on something that we can always and forever rejoice in. Are we citizens of heaven? Is this heaven? But is heaven already with us? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, but not yet. Remember that? Yeah, we are already citizens of heaven, but we haven't arrived yet. Or rather, heaven hasn't arrived yet. God is coming. And we can rejoice in that. Verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men or people. The Lord is near. That is not a word that anybody really uses nowadays. Maybe in English class, that might be a spelling word. But forbearing, that is, that's an interesting word. It means patience, gentleness, kindness. It's an adjective, so that's why if your translation has the word spirit italicized, that was supplied for smoothness in English. But listen to the actual word-for-word -word translation. It's kind of chunky. The gentleness of you let be known. The gentleness of you. That's where we get your forbearance, your patience, your kindness. Let that be known. That's what he's telling them. And let it be known. To who? To all people, humanity. Not just men. This is not a verse. You just be nice to men and be, you can be, do whatever you want to the women. Right? No. That's not the word. It's just a generic word for mankind. Humanity. You are supposed to let your kindness, gentleness, patience be known, so it's outward, to all people. Not just your family. Not just your church family. Not just to the people who tip you the best. Not just to the people who are the nicest back to you. It's to all people. You're supposed to let your gentleness, kindness, and patience be obvious to everybody. Because it's not about them. It's about you. See how he's pointing at us? It's about us. 
It's about me and my Christian life with Jesus. That's where I need to focus. That's the only thing I can control. So be kind. Who wore the be kind shirt? I saw a be kind shirt. There it is. <laughs> nice. Did you know I was going that direction? Read my mind. Be kind. That's a simple message with deep, deep roots. Because you just can't be kind if you don't feel content. You can't be kind to other people when your life is not right. You can't be kind to people when you've not experienced the ultimate kindness. So even the simple command of be kind has really deep foundation on the person and nature of God in Jesus Christ. When you get that kindness, then you can have another level of kindness to everybody else. And then the phrase, the Lord is near. I've really latched on to that sentence this week. It has influenced this whole message. It has influenced this whole passage. It's kind of right in the middle there, verses 4 and 5. And then it's the glue that leads us right to 6 and 7. The Lord is near. In some translations, it is at hand. That near. How near is your hand to you right now? That near. That's what he's trying to say. The Lord God is here. At hand. You don't always see him. You don't always sense him. He's God. He's omnipresent. He knows all things. He's nearer than you suspect. Jesus spends a lot of red letters in the Bible explaining just how near God and His kingdom is at hand. So when Paul reminds us the Lord is near, he's telling us, watch for the bridegroom. Don't forget His return. He's telling us, be alert. Be watchful. Redeem the time. Be a good and faithful child of God by serving others. Be the wise, prepared virgin. Be the faithful steward, servant. Tend your vineyard now. The master, the Lord, his kingdom, and everything that he represents, it is near. He will come upon you like a thief in the night. You will not have any warning except for this. He's going to keep his word and he's coming back. And on top of that, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus has promised to be with us spiritually and invisibly through the power of his spirit. And he's also promised to come back physically. Both together. The Lord is near. His kingdom is coming. If His kingdom is coming, don't worry so much about the kingdoms of this earth. If His rule and reign is coming, and your citizenship is in heaven, don't worry so much about the things that are out of your control. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, other humans, 
but against spiritual authorities, spiritual beings, which are way beyond our reach. Therefore, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. If God is coming back and He's going to settle everything, stop worrying about everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So anxious for nothing. He's giving us a prescription for anxiety and worry. He's giving us a prescription for anxiety and worry. But please notice, he does not just say, stop worrying. Period. Not helpful. Just forget about it. That's not helpful. Just stop all your worrying. Period. Those are such unhelpful things to say to somebody who is worrying. (laughs) Paul doesn't say that. The negative side of this is stop worrying, stop being anxious, be anxious for nothing. But, and he gives us something to do. He gives us a way to act. He gives us something meaningful by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. This is a very important sentence and verse in the Bible explaining a little bit about what prayer really is about. The word prayer in verse 6 it means to interact with the Lord by switching, get this to interact with the Lord by switching your wishes for His wishes. This This is the first meaning of the generic word prayer. To pray means to talk to God in such a way that you're switching out your wishes for His wishes. Thy kingdom come, not mine. Thy will be done. That, that's the model prayer from Jesus. That's, what he's, that's the basics of prayer. But that word supplication is different. The word supplication, it means to pray, but you are praying for a specific felt need it is a heartfelt petition arising out of a deep personal need so prayer is talking with god switching out your will for his will but then supplication is a deep heartfelt need usually when something's going wrong usually when there's a great temptation or a great pain in your life but immediately Paul ties it with the word thanksgiving. In the middle of your deep prayer, you pray to God with thanksgiving. Like That should change the way we pray. What's it going to sound like if we pray with thanksgiving? Is it all about the laundry list that we put down? Is it all about praying for all of these needs? With thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is going to require you to think a little bit more. You can't just read through your prayer list, done, I prayed. That's not supplication. That doesn't sound very heartfelt. Yes, you checked it off a list. And by the way, there is a time and a place for praying through a list. It's important to remember other people in prayer. 
but give yourself the time and have a heart. <laughs> Pause with thanksgiving. God, thank you that I'm not going through all of that. Thank you that all of that hasn't hit my family. Thank you that we have a church that is willing to pray for us all when we go through any of that. Thank you, God, that you've brought me to this stage in my life, that I'm alive, so you're not done with me yet. Thank you, God, for, thank you, thank you. See the mix that needs to come into our prayer life? Yes, you can have a list. and Yes, you can pray for his will to replace your will. And you need to have some heartfelt prayers about things that matter in your life, pains, temptations, losses. You bring those requests to God. Don't miss the word thanksgiving. If you want your prayer life to tank and be meaningless, leave out the word thanksgiving. Just make it a routine. Just be like a Pharisee. Oh, it's time to pray. And go on a street corner, pray out loud to everybody. Let them shower you with praise. Oh, he's so religious. He's so, oh, he's so dedicated. He's so faithful. And God says, hmm, that wasn't very heartfelt. Jesus has some good examples of that in the Gospels. The publican, who wouldn't even lift his eyes up to God, smote himself on the breast. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what God wants. Humility. Humility when we pray means we're going to thank God for being God because we're not. You can't thank God for being God if you think you're everything. What are you going to thank Him for if you think you've arrived? There's nothing there. You need to see the distance between you and God and the nearness of Jesus who draws us in to a place we don't belong. You, when we pray, we are entering into the throne of God. We don't deserve to be there. The first thing we should pray is, thank you that I can pray. Thank you that you're listening. Thank you that Jesus has made a way. Thank you that prayer matters. Now, here's my anxiety. Here's my worry. Here's what my heart is stressed about. The prescription is not just to stop worrying, but it's prayer and pleading. Prayer and pleading. Prayer and supplication. Talking with God, yes, but also talking to God. What will happen if we prayed like that? We're going to be anxious. That's normal. That's part of all humanity. We're going to worry about things. Things are going to be thrown upon us that we can't control. Paul says, don't, don't let that crush you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. And then, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes. Everybody wants the peace of God, but nobody wants to spend the time praying. Everybody wants there to be peace over every area of their lives, but we don't pray over every area of our lives. The peace that is coming, it's not just this external thing like God is up there waiting to dole out. Here's some peace for you. Here's some peace for you. Here's some peace from you. Like That's sometimes the way we think of salvation, too. Here's some salvation for you. Here's some salvation for you. That's not it at all. God doesn't just dish out 
uh, salvation like, like a Pez dispenser, like you tip back the cross, and there's salvation. Like, oh, I came to the cross, I got salvation. I got my ticket to heaven. No, that's not salvation. It's Jesus, the person of Jesus. You need him. Same thing with peace of God. It's not something he's handing out. It is him with you. It is God with us. It is God so near, you can taste it. You can feel it. It is God so near that you lose the ability to even worry. He takes it away. You don't have to suppress the worry. He removes the worry. It's not all about you doing everything right, getting everything straight. It's about you submitting to God, acknowledging He is God, talking to Him like He is God, giving Him your heart full surrender, and His peace changes you. In whatever situation you're in, He may not change that. Your cancer, your pain, your sorrow, your job, your boss, He may not change any of those things. But when the peace of God comes into your life, He changes you. That's really what you need. Because with that, you can endure all things. Paul's getting there. This is about to ramp up into one of the most famous verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What things? Suffer. Sit here in jail. Let people talk bad about me. I can do all that. I can endure all of that and rejoice and pray with thanksgiving because God is near. His peace is over Paul's life. Paul is pleading with these people to experience God like he has experienced God. And the only way he can explain it is by saying, it is a peace which surpasses all comprehension. The word comprehension is the word mind or thought. It surpasses what your mind can explain logically. It surpasses the way you think about life. Your thought process can't handle God. There is a peace that comes from God that you can't even begin to explain. In fact, the only way we explain it is to say it's unexplainable. It surpasses comprehension. It's beyond me. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I do know. It's a God thing. God's actual presence defies logic. This is the peace of God, which is supernatural. And in the same way that Paul is saying that this peace from God is of a, another kind, is the same way he talks about our, our citizenship in heaven, that kingdom is of another kind. There's some parallels here that we can't miss. Everything about Jesus, everything about his way of doing life, humbling himself, is of a, another kind that we need to tap into. And when we do, it frees us from the worries and cares of this life. Frees us. Makes us actually anticipate dying. Now notice I didn't say happy to die. Not always even looking forward to dying because there's a lot more to it than just your physical dying. You're going to miss people that you leave behind. Yeah, there's some sadness to that. 
There may be some things you regret not having done in life. Yeah, there's some regrets there when you die, but ultimately, we're not afraid of it because it's in God's hands. He's so near that even the thing that Satan has orchestrated as his biggest weapon against us, death, sin, and hell, God turns it on its head and uses it for good. He forgives, He redeems, and He glorifies. Through that which most of humanity is most afraid of, suffering and dying. How can we explain the change that goes on in our hearts and our minds? I'm calling it the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension. But that's not all it does. Because then he says, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And boy, do we need that. We, we are called to guard our own hearts, but we can't. Perfectly or completely. We need God to do the guarding. And that's what this verse is backing us up with. You have a lot of things you can do to guard your heart. You can watch, uh, you can be careful with what you pour into your life what you're absorbing through media, what you're absorbing through your screens, what you're absorbing for entertainment. You, you, you need to be careful what you're ingesting, what you're consuming. A lot of things that we bring into our lives, people, relationships, things that influence us. We are always bringing things and surrounding ourselves with things that are always having an impact on us. Guard your heart. You can't control a lot of those things. But if I know anything about my heart, it's rotten from the inside out. How do I protect myself from what's already there? I can't. I need God to guard my new heart, my new mind. I need his help. That's what Paul's tapping into here. When we come to bring everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and we make our requests known to God, His peace comes over us, and it doesn't just like make life peaceful, it guards our hearts and minds right where we are. Right in the middle of your marriage, right in the middle of your school, right in the middle of your job, right in the middle of all your circumstances. He wants to guard you from all that stuff. God doesn't, prayer is not about God changing everything, it's about God changing the one thing my heart, that it would be wholly devoted to His will and His way. What can God do through one person who is surrendered completely to Him? He can change the world. He can change a country. He can change a family. What can God do through you when he guards your heart and protects you? Protects you from yourself. Guard that. Look for that. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds. Uh, Most of this book, Philippians, he's been talking about our minds, having the mind of Christ having the attitude of Christ. Uh, I like that here he kind (laughs) of shows his hand, that he he means all of us. When he says hearts and minds, 
It, it includes everything that you are. It includes your essence, all of you. However you want to phrase that, your being, your person, all of you, inside and out, your actions and your motivations. It, I just like the word essence, meaning all of you. He wants to guard all of you from the inside out, heart and mind, because you can't guard yourself. He's going to step up and help you in all the ways you need him to. And he's going to help you more, back to verse 6, the more you bring everything to him through prayer, the more you bring everything in supplication, the more thanksgiving there is, the more you're pouring out to him, the more he's pouring himself into you. Because prayer is really about emptying yourself of all that anxiety, all of that worry, so that you can trust Him and wait for Him to fill you up with the things you need to be filled up with. We can't, but God can. Essence. So here's what God wants to do. Give you the mind of Christ. Which is not just thinking like Jesus, but having your heart so turned and so surrendered to God that you trust Him. In every situation. Trusting Him in every situation. Trusting Him in every situation. Trusting Him in the middle of can you, can you just picture with me right now in your own mind's eye? Think about when was the last time you were really scared, upset, angry, frustrated, nervous, anxious, didn't know what to do, on the edge of your seat? Put yourself in that situation for just a second. Put yourself back in that situation. Could have been an argument, could have been a fight, could have been a disagreement. Could just been a moment of indecision where you didn't know what to do. Trusting God to the rest of the world is going to look like doing nothing sometimes. A lot of deep breaths, a lot of praying. Trusting God to deliver you. Or leave you to suffer. Whoa. We're not just trusting him to deliver us. We're trusting him. We're putting these situations into his hand. And saying God. Help me to suffer well. If this is what you want it to be. If you don't want to get any better than this. Gulp. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you through this. You're still my God. The Lord gives. Amen. I like receiving. The Lord takes away. Oh, man. You ever notice how close those two phrases are together? Oh, man. And oh, man. One is focused on God. One is focused on me. One is focused on me giving him the glory. Amen. And one is focused on me not getting what I want. Oh, man. There's a lot more amen in my life than amen. That stinks. I hate that. I hate that about my heart. I know why it's there. Because I've not brought everything to him in prayer. That's it. 
I'm too busy to pray. <laughs> You're too busy not to pray, my friend. The busyness of your life will fade if you'll give the busyness of your life to him who never fades, who never wears out, who never gets tired, who never sleeps, who never slumbers, who never forgets, he can get more done in your life in one hour than you could in eight or eight years or eight lifetimes of doing everything yourself. God can do way far more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine let him. Whether he delivers you or whether he leaves you to suffer, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Last, last sentence on the bottom of your outline. This is, this is kind of the big idea of this whole sermon. I, I was tempted to put it at the beginning. Instead, I put it at the end. In small group, it'll be at the beginning again. So I'm indecisive. I'm just putting it everywhere, okay? Write this down. Believing God is near, really believing God is near, really by faith accepting the fact that God is with you, it leads to rejoicing. And then a life of kindness, gentleness, patience, and forbearance with everybody. And then it leads to prayer. And then it leads to peace. And by the way, that peace focuses you more on Jesus. God doesn't just give you peace so you can sleep. God doesn't just give you peace so you can sit back and relax. The reason God brings spiritual, supernatural peace into your life so you stop looking at everything else and so you can focus more on Him. That's the reason. It's peace in your life so you can focus more on Him, which is what you're made to do. You are designed to give glory and honor and praise to God. He deserves all of your attention. The reason he brings supernatural peace into your life is so you'll stop and focus more on him. And that is an incredible cycle. But one last thing I noticed about this whole passage. Right after Paul says God is near, in verse 5, we can't forget in verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. In the middle of this beautiful formula, anxiety will come. In the middle of this beautiful Christian life, pain is going to come. Worry is going to come. Conflict is going to come. Does the Apostle Paul know what life is all about? I wish he, he would have been nice if he just left that out of this passage. It would have been so light and fluffy and, and just an encouragement. And he goes and drops Verse 6 in there, be anxious for nothing. Like, why did you have to put that in the middle of all this? Because that is exactly what's going on in the middle of your life. That's why. Just a Paul truth bomb. Because anxiety and worry, it will find you. Because Jesus promised it would. In this world, you will have trouble. Will have trouble will encounter things to worry about will have very good reasons to be anxious you will have a lot of good reasons to be depressed and in the middle of all of that 
He doesn't just say, stop, stop your worrying. No. He says, bring it to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, which is from another kingdom, is going to come and guard your heart because you are a citizen of heaven. He's going to guard your heart. He's going to guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Did you see that at the end? For us to find all the peace of God we need, we need to be sure we are in Christ Jesus. Did you make sure you were in Christ this morning? Did you make sure you are in Christ this morning? Eric, why are you nodding your head? It works. It's how we need to start every day. I'm going to promise you something, because the promise doesn't rest upon me being fulfilled. It rests upon God. I'm going to promise you something. If you will come to church in Christ Jesus, repent of your sins, submit your life to Him, and pretty much, I can guarantee, I promise you, His word will speak to you. No matter who's behind this microphone or pulpit. When you come to church in Christ Jesus, it makes church better. When you go to work in Christ Jesus, it makes work better. When you go to school and summer school and you go to camp already in Christ Jesus, it becomes the best day of work becomes the best year of school. It becomes the best year of camp. When you go into anything already in Christ Jesus, nothing can touch you. You're unstoppable. You have all that you need. You're ready for whatever the world throws at you. And it's going to throw anxiety and worry and pain and temptation and sin. It's going to land on you. It's going to get you dirty. He knows that. Repent, ask for forgiveness, stop what you know you should stop doing, and start doing what you know you should be doing. Where do I go? Philippians chapter 4. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Do that. Stand with me. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now with grateful hearts. It's been a long time since we've come to you and only said thank you. God, forgive me for the many, many times that I come to you in prayer um, and forget to say thanks. Forget to say thank you for Jesus. Forget to say thank you for all that you've blessed us with. When I forget to say thank you for all of the grace and mercy that covers my past. Forgive me for not saying thank you for the millions of times you have fed me, made sure my car started, 
got my kids up healthy and made the sun shine. Remind us that we have an unending number of things to be thankful for. Remind us of that, God, so that in the middle of our worry and our anxiety, remind us that there's something there that we can thank you for. Anyways, change our hearts to be a people that see more of your goodness, no matter how much darkness there is. Help us to be a people who shine like a city on a hill, even as this world turns deeper and deeper into sin. Help us to be the people that are the salt of the earth, bringing flavor and preservation into the worst of situations and bringing good out of what is meant to be evil, bringing ransom and redemption. (sighs) We want to be a people like that. We want to be a church like that. We want to be families like that. We want to be Christians like that who are simply like Jesus. (laughs) He did all of that all the time. So help us to be like Jesus. Our simple prayer, help us to be more like Jesus, to trust you like Jesus, to know you are near like Jesus knew. As we look forward to this week of youth camp, We pray, God, that you would help our teenagers draw near to you. Help our sponsors, our counselors, to draw near to you. Help this church to remember to pray for our teens while we are gone, to lift us up. Because as they draw near to you, how exciting it is to see young people following you. It will help all of us, God, follow you better. It will repair families. It will repair relationships. It will repair so many things. If we who are called by your name will humble ourselves and seek your face, we need you to heal us. Guard and protect our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.